0: All right, well, thanks so much for joining us. This is a special episode of The Tribe Exchange. as uh, Today, my guest is my co-host, uh, Christian Ray Flores. Uh, we um, we, we had talked this week, and we, we wanted to get you on to kind of unpack some of your story. Uh, because of all that's happening in the world right now with the, uh, the exit of the U.S. from Afghanistan and the conversation around refugees that's happening in our world, and certainly in our neck of the world here in the U.S. and in the church, and not everybody knows, but you have a colorful history in your own family upbringing. You've lived in Germany and Russia and Chile and Mozambique. And we'll get into some of that story here in a little bit. But you have some unique perspective to offer in this cultural moment that we thought would be relevant to, to talk about. So, uh, so yes. With us. Yeah.
1: Very true. Uh, uh, you know, the reason it I respond to this stuff you know probably a diff- slightly differently from what most people uh, how most people respond is because i was a political refugee when i was a kid mm-hmm. so i was um, my I was in the middle of this turmoil in 1973 in Chile. I was four years old, my sister was two. My father was in his concentration camp. People were being killed, tortured, disappeared without any trace. Uh, There was this mass persecution, mass arrests all over the country. Um, My mom was in hiding. We were, my dad was in the concentration camp and they were sort of pursuing other people who might be connected to the people that were already arrested. So my mom had a fake passport, she was hiding. She was literally sleeping with a gun under her pillow wow. with two two babies. <clears throat> and then we were lucky enough where my, my dad was released. And at the time, they would release you, and they would sort of follow you around and then grab you with all your friends. So they were lucky enough to make it wow. into a refugee camp. So we, the whole family, w- were in a refugee camp in fear for our lives. Uh, it was a UN-hosted refugee camp. And, and how then, old were you at you this know, point? I was four years old. My wow. I was probably five by the time. But these we're are the some refuge. of the. This is
0: some of the earliest memories of your life, right? Like that's that's it's, about the time we start remembering things.
1: Actually, these are my first memories. Wow. Of my childhood, and the, the reason I know this is because, you know, I have all kinds of childhood pictures, right? right? So you don't know if that's a memory or if that's you know like a picture yeah. that you that that sort of is, is feels like a memory, but I don't have any pictures from those times. And I have memories from those times. I remember the soldiers. I remember the concentration camp and my mom trying to bribe a guard to pass food for my dad. I remember the place where we're in, in in this refugee camp, which was a Catholic uh, monastery retreat type place. (laughs) Uh, So I remember the guards outside the gates, you know, all of those things. And us with a bunch of families in small rooms sort of packed into rooms with uh, there were probably know, 150, maybe 200, 250 people in that particular uh, setting. So, yes, I remember those things. And those are, I don't have any pictures, so they're memories for sure. My right. first childhood memories were from a refugee camp.
0: Well, you know, so this is a time in life when I think most of us expect our childhood to be, there's consistency, there's safety, there's nurturing, there's fun. There, You know, this is a disruptive Experience
1: very much yes very how much.
0: How has that affected you even now as an adult? How would, like you you mentioned a little bit when you see some of these things, it has an effect. How does how does it affect you? What, what happens when you see these things happening?
1: You know, it just things things these sort of feelings come back because you know a lot of our memories are connected to feelings. How I felt in that right. moment, right? That's probably the deepest memories we have is how we felt. And I remember a sense of insecurity and fear. You know, because it was it was just in the air. And I didn't understand much because I was five, but I did know that we were in danger. That was clear. There were soldiers everywhere, you know, um, sort of the, the chaos of it all. And, and the other thing I, I remember feeling profoundly, um, this was a few years ago. This was after the Syrian refugee exodus that happened yeah. a few years ago. And there was footage in the news of of a bunch of refugees arriving in Munich. Yeah. And... And I remember being, I was in tears. I was having breakfast with my family, with my kids. I mean, we were in a very secure place. We were at a conference, actually. We were not even at home. We're having breakfast in this restaurant in, 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 a, in a hotel. And I'm watching this with my headset because I was just following this stuff. And all these families and children are, are entering an airport, I think, in, in Munich. And there was all these people in Germany with, with candy and food and Signs, welcome home, and that sort of thing. And I was brought to tears. And the reason I think that was so deep in my heart is that I arrived with my family in Munich also. Yeah. So we had gotten an asylum. And um, the feeling of they don't want me in my own land and they want to hurt me in my own land. And this other, these, these other people that were strangers, they will welcome me. Yeah, and they'll make a home for me. Wow, that was a profound, profound feeling, and stayed with me. This, I mean, so many years later, thirty plus years later, I'm watching this, you know, this footage, and I'm in tears, and showing it to my girls, and you know, trying to explain to them what happened.
0: Yeah, so this is this is formative, right? These are things that yes. have, it's continue to have a ripple effect in your life even now, and um, and I'm sure influence some of the narrative of your of your story, your journey, right? Um, as a parent, though, right, and thinking about little four-year-old Christian, right, and I have little boys, and, and you're a parent, and obviously your mom was going through this, sounds like for a, at least a portion of it alone, right, doing the single-parent thing, moving kids around. Um, have you, has your mom ever unpacked a little bit of that for you, kind of her experience, and what this must be like as a parent going through this experience? Every once
1: in a while, I would just sit her down, and I would say, please tell me more. Yeah, You know, and I have some of these things recorded, actually. Uh, and one thing that really stuck with me with one of her stories is that she was, um, you know, so she, my dad was Chilean. My mom is Russian. They were both communists. The The, the coup there in, in Chile was basically people persecuting um, people who were of leftist ideas for their ideas, essentially. And they were not politicians. They were not terrorists. They were just professionals who happened to believe in a certain thing, right? Right. Um, and at the time, so that what happened that my, my dad was already in in a concentration camp, my mom was in hiding, and they would they would literally search for people, um, and they were searching specifically for people uh, that were citizens of the Soviet Union at the time. So she, she 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 tells me the story that she is trying to move from one place to another to to a safer place, to some friends of ours who can sort of keep us safe, and she was with us, my, me and my sister Monica, in a bus. And traveling from one city to another, and then the military would stop the, the bus, and they would there would people with m- soldiers with guns would board the bus, and they would check everybody's documents one by one by one. And that's sort of like it's like a movie, right? right? She's sitting there, she's trying to not to say anything because she has an accent. She has a passport that is not Soviet, but she's just praying or whatever it is that she was doing <laughs> to to not get found and you know offloaded the bus with two little children and sent some some you know weird place
0: wow it again even for not just for the children but for the adults this becomes formative right this becomes this is a visceral experience that doesn't just go away and obviously you don't want to share too much but as your mom have you noticed in your mom like are there things that you just go in her adult life having gone through this as an adult it's still affecting her maybe even in these ways now
1: I think it affects all of us in the sense of of we are painfully aware at the that there is evil in the world. Yeah. right? So so I think that that was a formative thing in that sense, and and actually ended up growing up in in we went to Germany, then then the Russia, then we ended up in Africa with a group actually of this is right after the the, uh, uh, the colonial powers had left in, in Mozambique. And there was a whole group of professionals, Chileans, who were aligned sort of leftist Chileans. Essentially, they were secular missionaries there to help rebuild the country because all the professionals had left. And so I grew up in this environment of all these amazingly brilliant people who were not politicians, but they were of certain sort of ideas yeah. and they were all tortured and, and imprisoned in and, and, and horrible ways. So I, would, I was immersed in those stories growing up. And I think what it formed in me is sort of this idea of, of, of evil is a very real thing and that we should be aware of these things and we should help each other. Yeah, and we should support each other. So that's that's probably pretty deep in my in my bones. Yeah, and I'm sure
0: I'm sure in your parents' minds as well, right? There's this yes. There's this this cognitive dissonance that happens for at least for me, growing up in the West, never gone through any kind of experience like that, right? In America, I've never had any kind of experience where my parents have been displaced and I've been put through refugee camps or anything. My parents have never gone through like that. Um, and I, so, really, it's I can only imagine right, what it must kind of put in just the, the low hum of constant, like, it's never going to go away. There's always something, right, that that, that that reality is always there too, right?
1: And the, on the positive side, here's another thing. On the yeah. positive yeah. side yeah. Is, is that I live in the United States, yeah. and as an immigrant, as a refugee and as an, an, an immigrant, it's hard for me to process um, when people... Our, I mean it's it's our job to be critical of our government of our system in a democracy that's actually our, our our job right we should do this but when people are just dismissive and not appreciate the sort of the safety the the freedom that we enjoy here in the United States it's far from perfect. As a matter of fact, the coup in Chile was sponsored by the CIA. So sure. it was basically, at the time, it was the U.S. meddling with foreign affairs. That you know, so so obviously there's there's tons of sin you know involved, and in, especially on a government level. But the fact that that people he, that who lived here, grew up here, don't understand the treasure that this place is, the safety that we enjoy, the liberty that we enjoy, the prosperity that we enjoy, uh, I, I can I can almost guarantee you that most of us who are immigrants from different places, especially for refugees, uh, we it bothers us to see people uh, sort of really, you know, tear down their own country yeah. and not not appreciate it. And so that's, on a positive side, yeah. a, a deep sense of gratitude is right. constantly there. It just doesn't go away. It doesn't go away, this and, deep and sense of gratitude.
0: Friends that I have that have had similar stories coming from other places in refugee situations to the U.S., uh, I've heard the exact same sentiment. yeah, so yeah, you're yeah, not alone in that. Well, you know, I appreciate your story and, and I think as we talk about the tribe exchange and kind of the intersection of what's happening in the world and our faith in the kingdom of heaven and where those two collide um, from your own story and from what's happening right now, how how does the church see this? from this perspective of Jesus? Like what are some things we should be thinking about as followers of Jesus in his perspective of a scenario like this?
1: Well, that's actually quite easy, I think. Um, If we zero in on the actual lens of Jesus, right? And and not sort of cave in into the different narratives, identity, politics, things like that. Uh, In Matthew 25, Jesus tells this parable about the sheep and the goat, mm-hmm. and he explains that you know there's when he comes back in glory and power, and all the kingdom of heaven is fully realized, right? Fully manifested. Uh, one at least one of the dimensions where he's going to be sort of looking at us, all of us, right. who stand before him at the time. Is that he, he will say when you, you know you took me in when i was a stranger you fed yeah. me when i was hungry you clothed yeah. me when i was naked you visit me in prison and then people would say uh, people will be in wonder saying when did we visit you we you know we weren't there he was saying when you did something for one of mine my people that's what you did right so yeah. the lens is so crisp and clear so crisp and clear and what he's telling us is that when we do something for somebody else who is persecuted, who is naked, who is suffering from oppression, we're doing it for him. That's the lens. It's that clear. Yeah. Uh, and I think when it gets muddy, it is basic identity politics and, and when it gets mixed with other narratives, I think.
0: Well, it's interesting, too, that he uses the word stranger, right? Yeah. Like not not somebody you identify with necessarily, not even somebody that you could relate to or looks like you, but... So he says, "I was a stranger and you invited me in. right? Why do you think that's important that um, and what's maybe some of the history there, even as you think about the lens of the entire narrative of God of the scriptures, right from the Old Testament on, what, what why, what's the importance of our view of the stranger? Well, I mean
1: it's so the stories are so rich because you you see the nation of Israel, you see all kinds of stranger, loving interactions throughout scripture right the 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 stories of some individual people the stories of israel being enslaved in egypt or actually welcomed in egypt initially and then enslaved in egypt then the invasions the exodus the 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 dispersions right the, the and then but i would say this i would say there's there's so much to study out there it's it's just incredible and it's beautiful but here's one thing that i've always identified with and i haven't for some reason, I think it's because the lens I have from, as a refugee, as a, as, as, as a political refugee even, right? Is that Jesus was a refugee at a very, as a baby. He was a refugee as a, as a child. And he was a political refugee. Specifically, there were persecutions that they were trying to kill kids of a certain age. And he had to flee with his family to Egypt. And I, I, I identify with all that in such detail because what we don't think about is this. This is a young, this is a baby, and we don't even know the, the sort of the scholars, I think, are debating whether the, their stay in Egypt was a few months or a few years, right? It's, the range is there, and uh, it's not clear, but so these, this is a family from Israel moving, uh, going to Egypt, and they have the same dynamics, potentially, both good and bad, that we all see right they can have the dynamics of who are who is this this joseph carpenter trying to take Egypt, good egyptian jobs right you know who are these people who eat different foods and speak a different language and they look funny um, that i experienced all of that you know every everywhere i've i've went as yeah. a matter of fact my whole life because my after the our they kicked us out of the country And we went to Germany. We never came back to live in Chile. So everywhere I've gone, I've been a. a, It's you know, I'm an outsider basically. So, so that that shapes you a certain way. So Jesus was an outsider in Egypt. His family were outsiders in Egypt. Were they treated well? Were they not treated well? Were they welcomed? Were they giving jobs and food and shelter? We don't have. We don't know. But then here's another story eventually they come back. Mm. So when they come back, which is what happened to me, is it, I don't know if Jesus was too young to have in, inherited any sort of, any any of the stamp of living abroad, yeah. or maybe he was young enough, maybe he was five, maybe he was six when they came back to Israel. And then that then you're the kid who lived abroad who is not like us
0: right maybe he, he maybe speaks
1: language. Like, yeah maybe he has an accent yeah. maybe he has he has acquired some habits some clothing eating behavior uh, uh, habits so you're ours but not ours and that's essentially my story right so i don't fit in i'm chilean russian so i when i go to chile there's some of the language and cultural layers i have the chilean accent but there's the, some of the language some of the habits some of the cultural norms are not there Right. So I'm, I'm an outs- I'm a outsider when I go to Russia. Um, I speak without an accent, clear. I got my higher education there, but I look completely Chilean. I don't look Slavic at all. So in some sense, I I'm an outsider there as yeah. well. Uh, so th- all of that I think is deeply relevant and rich in the story of Jesus. And we can, if we can just take that lens from him and go. Yeah, he, he's not ju- he's not just saying those things. He experienced those things himself.
0: Yeah, how beautiful that that God you know, embodies the gospel in that way, right? The, the yes. gospel. Because the gospel narrative is that we're all strangers to God. Yes, right? and we're, we're all lost. We're all in search of a home, a place to belong, a place to be that is permanent, that's safe, uh, where there's there's nurturing and provision. And that's all of us spiritually. And Jesus comes and offers that spiritually and lived it physically, right and yes um, yes and that's the story of israel right exiled and, and coming back and and even throughout the old testament god's telling them like hey remember this part of your story when you consider how you treat foreigners and strangers because this is you right and, oh, and so that's so good so that's that applies to us right and i, and I guess even that leads me to kind of a, a, another question is just what as we think about our our story in this larger story, right? Our spiritual story even to this physical story of what people are going through. How should Christians respond and and, and what, what are some practical things we can do in that response?
1: Well, I think this, I, th- I would say this. I think a lot of the drama and the disconnect happens because we sort of equate our personal response to our government's response, right? Oh or what, what we should do as a country. And in my mind, what helps me, I think, is this, is look, I I am primarily a citizen of the kingdom of God and secondarily a citizen of the United States of America. That's right. Um, so, and there's all kinds of sort of things that are happening on the on a country level and a government level that really don't quite necessarily match exactly the call, the invitation that we have in scripture. That's right. But the invitation is to us personally as spiritual beings as as god's people right so i would say this like if you can separate government country policy politics from your personal interpretation of events that really helps as a first step because then it's very it's actually uncomplicated right welcome a stranger yeah. you know? uh, and you can't welcome all the strangers and right. every stranger because uh, you're limited in your capacity, both for time and money, or or even compassion. Like my, I don't think our minds and hearts are big enough to to absorb all the suffering in the world. That's Jesus who does that, and that's the beautiful thing. But right now, right here, right. what's happening around me, and what can I do? Right. right. So the, one of the first things that happened when when we we saw this unfold in Afghanistan is both Deb and I. Uh, found the the local austin texas agency that is taking in refugees yeah uh, from specifically from afghanistan Uh and uh, we basically signed up as volunteers and there's four or five different ways you can volunteer and we're going to basically engage in that and and whatever they ask us to do we'll do basically (laughs) there's four or five different things and then on top of that so what can i do personally right and that's what we did, right? So we're waiting for, there's some sort of orientation training that needs to happen in the next few weeks. So we're going to pass that and then be clear to be volunteers to help the Afghans who are coming into Austin, Texas. What can you do beside, through your network or through your leverage that you happen to have? So for example, I happen to have, uh, to, to be a, a partner in a, in a business that does media as part of the services that we do. So what I did is I reached out to the head of the local agency here and I said, hey, you know, we have. A, we, can we help you tell the story? Right. We'll we'll do it pro bono, yeah. and we had a very grateful call back on, and we had a discussion with one of their people there, and so we're waiting just to, for for opportunities to leverage what we have professionally yeah. to tell the to tell the story and to spread the story of the Afghan refugees landing here in the United States.
0: That's fantastic. Well, I appreciate the example and. Um, thanks so much for just sharing your story and your journey in this uh, you know it, it helps me because sometimes it can just stay there's this filter between me and and these people because i'm interpreting it through the news or through my feeds or through whatever um, but it helps to know that this is a human experience um, you've gone through you can unpack some of that experience for us and uh, put put flesh to it which is just Which I think is what Jesus does, right? He puts flesh to these stories. Um, Exactly. So I appreciate that, and uh, thanks for helping us interpret some of this stuff in a a spiritual way and in a practical way as well.
1: You're very welcome. And um, I would, my my sort of my advice would be: don't be overwhelmed. You can't absorb all the suffering in the world, but pick one thing that you can do for someone. who is suffering who in, is in those places and most of those situations are actually invisible. They're not in the news
0: Yeah,
1: so it might not be an Afghan refugee that you help But it, it could be another person who is suffering who yeah. is oppressed. That's right That um, it's just not in the news and it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter because Jesus knows that's
0: right. And Jesus lived through it as well That's right. Beautiful. Thanks Christian Thank you